Have you learned that? Yes. Do you understand that? Yes. So it's a big deal. And things, listen, this country does not change because it's the right thing to do. You have to challenge. You have to fight. You have to care about your neighbor. You have to vote. Yes? Yes. These are all the things that live here in this city. So I wanted you to end here with Dr. King. Because why are his legs not finished? Because his work is not done. Say it together. His work is not done. Say it again. Because his work is not done. And whose job is it to continue the work? Ours. It's our job. It's my job. It's your job. And you need to remember that in this moment for the rest of your life. Agreed? Agreed. So go back to Mississippi. And when they start talking about Mississippi, they're like, oh, Mississippi this. You have a different story to tell. Mississippi people are strong. Mississippi people have fought to change this country for the better for who? Everyone. Literally for everybody. We are part of the story. We are the story. Do you agree? Yes. Do you understand? Yes. That's why we did this trip. That's why we chose this amazing group of people. Uh, kids, you are stuck in here with me tonight. Although if you're a preschool or uh, younger, I believe there's child care available. Uh, if you choose to take care of that. Um, all right, well, <clears throat> I pre appreciate you guys being uh, so generous with time when I decided halfway through Sunday last week to take off for North Carolina to be uh, with my dad when he had a couple of procedures, and thankful for uh, Pastor Jennifer from UBC for just jumping in and filling in uh, last week. Um, honestly, though, as, I'm, as I was looking at it, uh, the sermon that I was preparing for last week, I, of course, pushed to this week because I'm not good enough just to throw away a sermon I've already been working on. <clears throat> And it works better this week, honestly. I should have, I should have saved it for this week anyways uh, for, for theme and uh, even another anniversary that's happening tomorrow that we'll talk about in a minute. So uh, we're, we've been going through the book of Genesis. We're currently uh, getting ready to talk through the story of Joseph, uh, although we'll, we'll talk through the first part of his story and then kind of talk about him in a broad, in a broad way. <clears throat> and I apologize for having a shot glass up here in the, in the pulpit, but this is the only size we had in our little closet. I'm not sure if we raided a dentist's office or what. But it is water, I promise, <clears throat> as far as you know. yeah. It, uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, let's go ahead and read the passage together, and then uh, we will talk a little bit about uh, Joseph the dreamer. <clears throat> we are in Genesis uh, 37, uh, verses 2 through 28, and it says this, Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them of their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him an ornamented robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. They could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and words. He had another dream. 
and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told this to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow on the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, he found a man, uh, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornamented robe that he wore. They took it and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. When some of the Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took, him, they took Joseph to Egypt. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So I'm going to start by making a very bold statement tonight, one that might be offensive to a lot of people in the room. But I'm a pastor, it's my job to take bold stands. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that Joseph's brothers were wrong. I know. Again, it's a brave stand for me to take against attempted homicide and slave training, but that's what I'm going to do tonight. They shouldn't have done that. But, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I kind of get where they were coming from, right? Joseph maybe was 17, maybe a bit naive, but he was also massively annoying to his brothers. You can understand why the brothers didn't want him around, right? Here he is, privileged by pure luck as the oldest son of his father's favorite wife, which is a really big sentence you normally only hear on a a weird talk show. He's a special one, right? The dad likes him best, and I know a lot of us come from families where we feel like there's a preferred child, it's usually not us. But his dad strongly and demonstrably liked him better than the other siblings. He literally made him this special coat to set him apart. A coat explicitly made not to work. It's not for working in the fields with his brother. It's just for being special. He might as well have given him a daddy's best boy t-shirt and sent him out into the world. And Joseph wears it proudly. Because like most spoiled 17-year-olds, he has no social awareness whatsoever. 
And next, because he's daddy's favorite, uh, he has no qualms telling anyone what he thinks about everything. He rats people out. He tells bad things about people behind their back. He's a tattletale. And because of this, he's put into management. I think we've all worked at that place before, haven't we? He is sent out by his father to go check up on his older brothers, see how they're doing, and report back to dad. That's a great way to build sibling relationships, isn't it? He's only 17. He's inexperienced. He's not working with them. But somehow this makes sense to both Jacob and Joseph for him to have this role. So he goes out to do it. So the older brothers are looking at this kid who is sent out to make judgments about their lives and their livelihoods. And he's going to do it with pride. How could this not drive them just a little bit insane? On top of all this, Joseph is a dreamer. He gets these otherworldly crazy dreams, these ideas in his head that he loves to confidently share with everybody. And he believes those things to be every bit as true as the world that's around him. These dreams seem to consistently make uh, those around Joseph feel a bit ashamed and angry, and they look to those around him to be benefiting Joseph himself. But again, he has no social awareness, so he just proudly shares them like they're good news to everyone. Like that kid who's going to leave your hometown that you really love because that's the only way you can make it big in this world? That you can't live a good life in this kind of place? Like things have to change for you to succeed? It's that kind of feeling, right? His dreams are an indictment on his brother's lives. So again, let me go on record as boldly making the statement that you should not attempt homicide or throw people into pits or even sell them into slavery. Don't do it. Full stop. I don't agree with it. But with that said, I kind of get it. Life would be a lot easier without Joseph around. Work would be easier without Joseph around. Everyone could get back to just doing what they know how to do best. Who wants this know-it-all dreamer questioning everything about the way we do everything all the time? We know how the world works. We understand what we do and why we do it. We know how to get by. We know the world as it is. Honestly, it's probably just an attention-getting thing for him anyways, right? He likes to make troubles. He obviously thinks he's better than everyone else. We'd all be better off without him. We don't need the dreamer. Joseph claims to dream about some imagined solution to what seems to us to be some made-up problem. Why doesn't he understand that the dream is the problem here? The dreamer is the problem. Everyone would be just fine if he would just shut up about it. He's the troublemaker. He's the tr disturbing the peace. This dreamer is complicating life for the rest of us who are just actually out here getting stuff done, and he doesn't understand the real world. They shouldn't have done it, but I get the impulse. I think we all can understand to some degree how the brothers get to that place. That place where they say of their own brother, here comes the dreamer. Come, let us kill him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. It's a strong verse. Does that scripture ring a bell for anyone? As I was studying it in the last couple of weeks, um, it began to ring a bell for me. And while I read this story, and I empathize a little bit with the brothers, and I'm not proud of that, but I empathize a little bit with the brothers, that verse means something very different for other folks. In fact, you may or may not know this, but that scripture 
Here comes the dreamer, come and let us kill him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. That scripture was the very first thing read at the memorial service of Martin Luther King Jr. It's also the scripture that you can find on a plaque at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, where he was shot and killed. It is, of course, a reference to his most famous speech at the Lincoln Memorial, 60 years ago tomorrow. One of the most celebrated talks and speeches, one of the most celebrated orations in all of American history, and I, I didn't really know much about this, but the more I studied it, a lot of it was off script. The story is that he was delivering prepared remarks when the gospel singer Mahalia Jackson shouted out to him in the middle of him talking, tell them about the dream, Martin, tell them about the dream. And that's what started the famous extemporaneous run that we all know. I have a dream. Martin confessed to being a dreamer in front of everybody. Now you have heard that talk just like I've heard it. You've been moved by it. In fact, no sane human being who would listen to it today does not love it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I think it's safe to say that if you polled everyone in this room or out there in the world... 95 plus percent of people would say that's, a, that's unbelievable what he says. I, I'm in favor of it. Yeah, I'm sure we got those few percent who are way out there, but you, know, you always have a couple of those folks. And yet, five years after he spoke those words at the Lincoln Memorial, he would be shot and killed. Not by some loner who had some fringe ideas about things. Not by some loner who didn't represent what a lot of Americans were feeling not by one of those weird five, one or two or five percent who may not like the speech if they heard it today. Now, for us, it is expected. It's, it's crazy to think that someone would not love Martin Luther King Jr. and what he did. But did you know that in a 1968 Harris poll, it demonstrated a disapproval rate of MLK Jr. of 75% disapproval rate in America? That's 25 points higher than it was when he gave the speech five years earlier, when only half the country hated him. Talking about a dream was one thing, but it seems that many of us in this country turned on him as soon as he began to talk about what the dream really meant. When he began to question Vietnam, when he advocated for a coalition of poor among all colors, when he endorsed massive federal aid programs for black citizens who had been disadvantaged for so long, suddenly that dream became a problem. Here comes the dreamer. Come, let us kill him, and we shall see what becomes of his dream. Why is that? Why is it the dreamers are so dangerous to us? I think at its core, dreams like Joseph had, dreams like MLK Jr. had, are a judgment on the world as it is. These dreams are rooted in the belief that the world must be turned upside down for there to be salvation and redemption for those who are being crushed by it. If it doesn't need to be fixed, or if it needs to be fixed, then it must be broken. It's the backside of the dream. On one level, it condemns, right? I don't dream of things that don't need to be fixed. I don't dream of having more kids. I've got enough. I don't dream of getting another job. I've got enough. I don't dream of accumulating more debt one day. I'm good. Those don't need to be fixed. I dream of answers to problems. Joseph dreamed of a world in which the young and powerless 17-year-old would have the opportunity to save the vulnerable family. 
One day he was going to say to the family, even if he didn't fully have an explanation, fully understand that dream when he was 17, that's what the dream ended up being about. MLK dreamed of a world where the color of one's skin created no barriers to who they sought to be and what they sought to do in this world. But the dreamers are hard to swallow. The Kennedys, Medgar Evers, Vernon Damer, Malcolm X, fill in the blank. All dreamers. All killed because of their dream of a better world. All accused of being themselves the troublemakers. Their dreams labeled as the problem by those who believe they are benefiting from the world as broken as it was. Of course, without the dream, Joseph's brothers would have starved one day. Without King's dream, America would continue to lose its soul. Because God's dreams are not just about the dreamer. God's dreams are for a better world. A kinder, more just, more equitable world. A world where empty stomachs are filled where oppressed people are set free. God's dreams are for the care and consolation of those who would otherwise be eaten up with the world as it is. The dreams are for the benefit of friend and enemy alike. The dreams are for a better, more beautiful world. And the dreamers, even though they get accused of grandstanding and drawing attention from themselves, the dreamers rarely have a good path forward. Often they die in the dream for the dream. But thank God for the dreamers. And I don't want to keep us long tonight because I know there's good food waiting. But maybe that's what we can take from the story of Joseph tonight. Thank God for the dreamers. Maybe we as a people can remember that God is faithful to the dream and we should be too. We should never be so immersed and converted by the world as it works now that we forget the world as it should be. I would like to think that's why we've gotten together in a room like this every week for 16 years. We certainly don't have it all figured out. We've got our own problems. Many of you can attest to those. But I'd like to think we have spent so much time and energy with each other, with our friends at Hawkins. I'd like to think that the reason why we've done all these welcomes and all these goodbyes and all these weddings and births and funerals and baptisms, and fill in the blanks, are because we believe in the dream. The dream that the small and unimportant things in this world are first in God's kingdom. The dream that every person is beloved, and every person is deserving of our love as God's children. The dream that when we keep showing up, and keep committing ourselves to God's grace, something good and beautiful and lasting can happen even in this very ugly world. God bless the dreamers and the world that they're helping to build. So as we think about Joseph, as we remember all the dreamers that have come before us, may the phrase, here comes the dreamer, be the good news that it's intended to be. Let's pray.